Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello, my friends. How are you? How's your summer going? Welcome to our little endurance sports podcast that we've been doing for more than a decade. Welcome, in fact, to episode 4-371. We have a good show for you today. I'm quite satisfied with this show. Good content, good writing, good audio. As they say, every blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then. (laughs) Uh... Today we have a interview with Arnar from Timeware, and I've been advising Arnar on his startup. Hopefully, I'm doing more good than harm, and I went in to see him this week. He's working out of the seaport area of Boston, and there's a lot going on down there. That's where that's the place where GE's building its new headquarters down there. It's where the convention center is. And since I was uh, in there, I recorded this interview for this show. Interesting stuff. In section one, I have a useful instructional piece on smoothies. Yes, smoothies. And in section two, I finally wrote down a story that's been bouncing around in my head for a good five plus years. So working with Arner finally shook this story loose. As you know, I'm a big science fiction fan, right? So I was able to combine science fiction and running into one story. How about that? And no zombies were involved in the making of this story. Nothing unusual to report on the training front. Last week was a down week, a a back-off week for me. And this week I'm ramping it back up again. Still have to go out tonight and do a hill workout when it cools down a little bit. I slept in this morning a bit. I've had some sort of allergy or cold this week. I had some early calls. So I noticed I noticed it Tuesday my heart rate was really high uh, when I did my morning 10-mile trail run. So, But everything's going well. I gave blood on Wednesday, and I figured out how to pass all the hurdles, all the challenge that I've told you about when I give blood. So I mentally now, I go in and I, I can mentally focus and raise my heart rate up into the 50s by, and you just think about fighting and sprinting and finishing a race, etc. And that'll get that low heart rate up there into the 50s and pass the heart rate constraint. And then I got a great tip from one of my running buddies. And I just pounded water all day long. So going into this, 
I wouldn't be dehydrated. And sure enough, the blood just came squirting out no problem. So that was successful, and I learned something. Managed to get down to my Cape House. Uh, spent a couple days down there last week, mostly cleaning, but I did ride my bike over to the ocean and go for a snorkel and get some sun. My tomatoes are coming in. Yeah, but the real bounty, the real bounty is in the wild black raspberries outside my garden. There's so many that they're just falling ripe to the ground. And I go out every couple days and I pick a quart or so, but I have to tamp down my compulsion to pick all the ripe berries because I'd be out there all day. And I told Teresa, I said, we're disturbing the natural ecosystem by pillaging all the wild black raspberries. I mean, those raspberries, they want to be eaten, but they want to be eaten by wild animals who spread the berry seed with a bit of fertilizer throughout the neighborhood. So I told her that if we're going to keep eating these berries, the only way that we can do it with a clean conscience and save nature is to go poop in the woods. No? <laughs> she and I were uh, all set to climb Mount Washington last weekend, or the weekend before, but when I checked the weather, it said it was 34 degrees Fahrenheit, 100% rain and hail, and 40 mile an hour winds on the mountain. And I've had my fair share of adventures, but I told her that it didn't sound like something we should willfully walk into. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. The Summer Smoothie Spectacular. It's all fresh in the summer. I know, I know, I know. When I talk about smoothies... Your brain switches off. I sound like some sort of California New Age nutrition wonk, but bear with me. This is a fantastic time of year to learn the art of the smoothie and apply it to your endurance sports routine. Many of you are in the big part of your training leading up to a fall race. You have these monster long runs or hard training efforts. You need to fuel these. Smoothies are a great, a super effective and convenient way to do this. And as your training peaks, you also tend to run out of time. You're tired, and you may let your nutrition slip because you don't have the energy or the time to eat cleanly. You know you should, but you don't have the time. It's the perfect storm, right? Just when you need your nutrition the most, you run out of time to manage it. Smoothies are a quick and convenient way to wedge some quality nutrition into your busy life. And the good news is that summer is the best time of year to make smoothies, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. Fruits and vegetables are maturing in abundance. Fresh peaches and berries hanging in the trees. Beets, kale, and spinach popping from the ground. Nature's bounty is surfeit. It's the perfect storm. It's the perfect time to get your smoothie on. What's a smoothie? It's a liquid concoction you blend up in a blender and drink. So what's in it? Simply put, whatever you want to put in the blender. But in practice, a smoothie consists of some fluid, some fruits, some berries, some vegetables, maybe some other good stuff. Part one of your smoothie is the base fluid. The first thing you need is some fluid to make the smoothie drinkable. And this can be as simple as water. 
Typically, the base fluid will be some combination of the following. Nut milk. I love chocolate almond milk personally, but you can use soy milk or any other nut milk. Nut milks will make your smoothie more filling and satisfying in terms of staving off hunger, especially that hunger you get after a big workout. Nut milks have some protein and some good fats that your body is going to need. You can also use juice as your base fluid. You can use fruit juice, but I typically shy away from fruit juice because of the sugar content. Especially be wary of any mass-produced juice drinks. They're typically full of sugar and nutritionally poor. If you want to use juice, stick to organic and read the label first. You can use natural juices or berry juices. There's some great juices that are filled with muscle-saving antioxidants like pomegranate, blueberry, tart cherry juices. These are all really great for helping the body repair, and those make great base fluids. Another good base is coconut water. Coconut water is a great base fluid in a smoothie. It tastes good, has natural electrolytes, and other good nutritional content. One of the things I like is beet juice. Beet juice has been shown to improve the way your body processes oxygen in your endurance athlete, in your workouts. And you can either buy beet juice or make your own. This time of year, beets are in season. They're readily available. When you cook your beets, you fill a saucepan with water and you boil your beets. Even the beet greens, throw those in. Slowly boil those on the stove. Then you can eat the beets for dinner, but don't throw out the water. Save that wonderful purple beet water, that sweet water, and put that in your smoothies. There you go. So feel free to combine any of these fluids in whatever ratios you feel appropriate in your smoothie. I usually add the fluid last on top of the solid stuff, so you can fill up the blender to about an inch below the top. Do you want to make it too fill or it will <laughs> explode all over your kitchen? You have to play with the fluid ratios to get a drinkable consistency that you're happy with. And you can always add water afterwards if your concoction comes out too thick. You can water it down. Next, the veggies. The next ingredient for your smoothie is some veggies. You can, if you want to, make an entirely veggie smoothie. But personally, I don't like the taste of vegetable juice. My preferred method is to sneak some green leafy vegetables in there as sort of a nutritional Trojan horse. But don't let me hold you back. If you dig a leek, tomato, and carrot-flavored smoothie, by all means, let your freak flag fly. I take a less aggressive stance on the veggies. I'll put in a handful of spinach, kale, or chard, and these are growing in abundance this time of year. You might even be able to get a few leaves out of your garden. These leafy green vegetables will give you a power punch of iron and other nutrients to help your body grow strong. The fruits and the berries. This is my favorite part. I love berries. I love fruit. It is good for you and nutritionally dense. Blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, all fruit in abundance this time of year. Pick them fresh off the bush. Buy them up at reasonable prices at the farm stands and freeze them if you don't use them. Bananas. Bananas are another core building block of the smoothie. Bananas give the smoothie that thick and creamy texture that makes it feel like you're having dessert. And there's a secret to smoothie bananas. You want them to be ripe, overripe. That's right, those gross brown bananas that no one will eat, 
Those are the smoothie bananas, which means in practice, you should, should be able to get as many of these as you want, and you may not even have to pay for them. You can make a deal with your local market or Starbucks that take away any overripe, unsellable bananas at the end of the day, and all you do is peel them, toss them in the freezer. Then you break one off and toss it in the blender with your smoothie. It's a win-win-win. For fruits, you can add any fruit to your smoothie. Peaches, pears, cherries, apples, papaya, nectarines, plums, dragon fruit, anything. And the same holds for these fruits as for the bananas. The riper, the better. So grab those droopy peaches off the sale rack and pick up those dropped apples off the ground. Slice them up, remove the pits, and toss them in the freezer for smoothies. Next bit is additives. The additives. You can stop with the base plus the fruits and the veggies and have an excellent nutritious drink. However, you can also throw in supplemental nutritional elements or flavor elements. Protein powder. I usually throw in a scoop of protein powder. The base smoothie is very nutritious, but it's carb-heavy. And since I'm using it as part of my workout and recovery regime, I like to boost up the good protein. Here's my warning. We are endurance athletes, not weightlifters. I would recommend that you stay away from the common commercially available protein powders. These are typically whey-based, W-H-E-Y, whey. And whey is a byproduct of cheese making. You're welcome to your opinion, but I'm not putting that in my body. (laughs) Instead, I use a vegan protein powder, and the one I use is by a company called Sun Warrior. You can also add chocolate powder. I sometimes will throw a scoop of good quality unsweetened chocolate powder in for flavoring. And if you like the taste of chocolate, this will give it that kick. And good quality chocolate powder actually has some nutritional benefits. Spices and herbs. You can always throw in the spice of your choice, whether it's cinnamon or nutmeg. And this time of year, there's also a bounty of fresh herbs. Basil, parsley, sage, spearmint, lemongrass. Play with it. See what you like. You can also throw in lemons or limes if you get those laying around. They're great for flavoring. How about some coffee? That's right. If you have a cup of leftover coffee or tea or espresso, you can toss that in for morning caffeine boost smoothie. And avocados. Some folks like to add avocados to their smoothies. I don't. Um, it's perfectly fine, but it adds two to 300 calories and makes the smoothie quite thick in consistency. And, believe it or not, Bug parts and bird poop. (laughs) Yeah, you heard me right. One of the weird advantages of using fresh, local, or wild ingredients out of the garden is that they carry with them their own biome, soil microbes, bits of insects, and other flotsam and jetsam of the garden. It may sound a bit nausea-inducing, but they're actually full of essential vitamins and really good for your gut. You don't have to think about it while you're enjoying that cold smoothie, but it's an extra benefit of that fresh and local aspect. So here's my basic smoothie construction. Step one, get a blender. I have an old Oster blender from the dark ages of American consumer manufacturing that holds 1.5 liters. Step two, toss in one or two cups of green leafy. Dice it up a bit if you want to, to make it easier to blend. Step three, toss in a cup or more of your favorite berries. Step four, toss in that frozen banana, that ripe one we were talking about. You might want to break that up into pieces as well. 
Step five, toss in two sliced up fruits, peaches, pears, apples, whatever. Step six, throw in that scoop of protein powder. Step seven, throw in that cup of juice or beet water or coconut water. And step eight, fill it up to that 1.25 liter mark, you know, about an inch lower than the top with your nut milk. And blend, step nine is to blend that puppy on high for a good long time to make sure all the hard bits are well masticated. Step 10 would be to pour it out into individual containers. I use standard 24-ounce water bottles. Step 11, put them in the fridge for your grab-and-go. And step 12, wash out the blender, you lazy slob. Sheesh, think of the next person. So how does this support your workouts, all this smoothie talk? Well, you can mass-produce these smoothies, and by that I mean I'll make three of them at a time. That's what my blender makes, about three bottles. And you can have several bottles in the fridge and ready to go. And you can drink them before or after or during your workouts for energy. Just make sure that if you're going to drink them before or during your workouts, that the consistency and the ingredients digest well. For active workout smoothies, you can dilute them with water to make them a bit easier to digest. They are healthier than sports drinks and full of actual nutrients as well as the carbs you need. The best time for a smoothie is right after that long or hard session, when your body is crying out for help and is hangry, as we say. Have that cold smoothie in your bag and wolf it right down after your track workout or your hill repeats or your long run, and your body will love you for it. It's also a good meal replacement alternative. If you're out of time, instead of skipping a meal or reaching for something nasty, you can have that smoothie with you and it will keep the demons at bay. And this basic smoothie recipe that I outlined above will have five to 700 calories for the whole blender for 1.5 liters. It's low in calories and high in nutrition and it's very filling. It's satisfying. And even if we got crazy, we threw in an avocado or whatever and we bumped it up to 900 calories to make the math easy. Because remember, I make three bottles out of this. So even if we assume a bloated 900 calories per blender, that's still only 300 good calories per smoothie. And one last warning. If you do use beet juice or berries, you want to be careful with it because it will stain. But standing aside, there's a lot to love about the summer endurance smoothie. And now for today's featured interview. Why don't we start our uh, our interview here? So, when you give me the uh, two hundred words or less on who you are and what you do and why we're talking. So, I'm Arnar Larsen. I'm originally from Iceland. My background is mechanical engineering, and I started my career developing prosthetics and orthotics. Uh, so, prosthetics for for amputees and orthotics for post operative surgery applications. And then I went into designing exoskeletons out of fabric. And so we were essentially looking to design a pair of pants that would help individual walk, right. a soldier out in the field, yeah. to walk with less metabolic cost. I'm trying to understand the human kinematics of walking yeah. and how we could apply external structures to that yeah. to actually make it more efficient, right. which is a, a tall order given how efficient we are at movement. So we were trying to figure out the last little pieces of efficiency to yeah, get without out burdening. without burdening the person. Right. And that's really the key. And so... As soon as you add any weight outside of your center of gravity, you're burdening the person. Right. And uh, so that was a big part of our design challenge. 
And we actually became the first autonomous device to be able to lower someone's overall metabolic cost of walking. Yeah. That was a cool project. So it's like a uh, Starship Troopers. A little bit, yeah. 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 Like so, Halo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or what they're wearing underneath yeah. in the Halo suit. It's their, uh, it's their base layer. <laughs> yeah. And then got into this whole world opened up for me of integrating sensors into soft materials, so clothing in particular. Yeah. And really seeing the opportunities of using sensors in clothing, so being able to identify the areas where the best data could be extracted from the person, how to make those devices, how to get the data out, how to analyze it, how to make it relevant to someone. That whole world opened up to me in an understanding of how much that could help people to understand and have access to this kind of information. Right. And it seems to me like we're on a bit of a cusp of a revolution in this sort of, you know, you've been hearing about wearables for five, 10 years now. We've had wearables for 10,000 years. Yeah. We're all wearing them. Yeah. You know, it's all just and everything. That's why I hate the word wearables because it's really just we've wearable been, technology. We've been using it for, for tens of thousands of years right. as, as humans. And um, arguably it was probably more important when it was first discovered because it kept us literally alive. Yeah. Uh, protection from the elements as well as from predators. But I mean, when I first met you and we, we ran into each other at, at a startup thing. Yeah. In, where were we? Just down the street. Just down the street. And uh, you and I were both presenting. Yeah. And uh, we started talking and it, I resonated well, with this Well, you clearly have read sci-fi novels. Because <laughs> it, it so aligns with the science fiction nature of what I've been thinking about. When I'm out running, right? Which is why can't you sense these things, mm-hmm. both internally and externally? You know, why can't your clothing be smart clothing, right? And that's really where you're starting to go with this. Right? Absolutely. And, and the reason why we can't today is because we're only as good as the things we can make. We're really good at making smartphones, but they're packaged into a certain form factor that's not necessarily conducive to wearing. And so there's a design problem and a manufacturing problem that still needs to be overcome. Being able to have accurate sensors in a form factor that you actually want to wear, comfortable, machine washable. Because as soon as you get into clothing, it's fashion, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah, no, totally. We really make a big point of saying that the sensors in our clothing are seamless. You're not going to notice them. And ideally, we want it so that you don't see them at all. They're completely in the background. Right. So give me the 100 words on what it is that your first product is here, your first solution. So we're developing a smart tank top with embedded sensors uh, that monitor breathing, body movement. The breathing gives us information about the person's metabolism. So when they reach their ventilatory threshold. Yeah, we'll talk about that more. Yeah. Because that's cool. Their VO2 max is another. But then we can really start to understand all these things. And in real time, we can understand them and provide feedback in a way that makes it actionable and useful for the person that's actually collecting this information. Right, yeah, because, you know, with all the wearable technologies, whether it's a Garmin or anything else, a foot pod or a power meter on your bike, half of it is the hardware. Not even half of it is the hardware. The hardware is a hard bridge to cross, but once you get the hardware, what that really does is it produces... You want to create the experience. Well, it's a data set. It's a data set, and the data set is also a part of the what is enabling the experience, right? And what you really want to create is someone using a tool, technology, whatever you want to call it, and having an experience where like, wow, that made my day better. Wow, that made my training better. I feel better because of this. Right. That's an experience. Right. And how we deliver that is just as important, yeah. probably more important than 
the actual device yeah. itself. And so as a hardware technology developer, sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow to think of what you're actually, you know, the sort of the baby that you've created is really just sort of the, the building block and something that people might not even appreciate that much. I agree because when I'm running with my chest strap and my Garmin watch, right, the part I really like about that is when I get back and upload it to the computer and I get to look at it. Yeah. I get to look at the splits. Because yeah. that means something to me, right? Exactly. You can almost get a little shot of Oxy. It's like checking your email. Right? Yeah. And uh, another thing to think about, too, is all these different data sets coming in and, and how are we interpreting them. So you have your heart rate, you have your GPS, you have potentially other data sets, your weight. These are all coming in. And for a lot of people, this starts to become almost burdensome. Right. You have too much data coming right. in. You don't know what to do with it. So a big part that we need to solve is how to actually parse all this information and deliver it You're in right. a way that... Give you some actionable signals. It's going to be right. very actionable. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And so, so the Garmin itself that we're developing is provides various modes of feedback. It's not only through your phone after the training, but we're also looking at how can we do at real-time feedback, right. whether it's through a vibration or some kind of audio coach through a headset and uh, things like that. So Right, because it's got an onboard storage. Exactly. Right. So yep. I'd say the majority of the fitness solutions or fitness packages today tend to be phone-based, right? So unless you're carrying the phone, it doesn't work. Yeah, and, and, and a big part of that is the battery consumption. Having sophisticated processes on a small chip can be very energy intensive. And so you often in design, you want to make a trade-off between what are you enabling on the device the power you need to power charge frequently, or yeah. you might want that device to last for days or weeks or even months. Yeah. Um, and then what can you offload onto a more sophisticated, powerful device like a phone where you can do all sorts of fancy algorithm work and, and right. displays. and right. um, But we're slowly starting to see progression from using the phone to using these smaller devices as these devices are becoming more efficient. Yeah. And that's an incredibly exciting space to be, especially when we look at some of the things that are coming down the pipeline in terms of interconnectivity of some of these devices. Essentially, we're looking at, you know, in just a few years, the phone is going to be pretty much around us in all the different objects and things we might be wearing, interacting with. It'll be distributed and dispersed Right. Uh, so across all those different oh, touch okay, points. Okay. So you have a bunch of little devices as opposed to the one big device. Yeah. yeah. You might still have one big device, but it's going to be <clears throat> taking up less of the uh, experience that you're having with your environment and, and the technologies you're interacting with. Right. So we interacted because I was a runner and you were producing a garment for athletes. Yeah. And that seemed to work out pretty well. Plus, you know, I, I like the concept. But the garment itself has sensors built into it that are tracking your movement through an accelerometer. Mm -hmm. So there's some great, if I play that out, I say, well, that tells the coach what my form is, right? I could almost see the three-dimensional movement of my form in space, right? To collect that data. And that's useful for the coach, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other bit that you have in there now is this, uh, is the, the breathing. You were calling that ventilation? Yeah. And that's basically you're just sensing when the person inhales and exhales. You're not sampling the gases or anything like that. Exactly. But sensing the inhales and the exhales 
what you've seen in your tests is it gets you pretty close. Very close. I mean, we have validated our data of breathing volume and rate to be as accurate, over 90% as accurate as a metabolic cart. So the thing that's measuring your volume of oxygen and CO2 at a performance lab test to be over 90% as accurate as the metabolic cart to determine ventilatory threshold, also known as your anaerobic threshold or your lactate threshold, as well as your VO2 max. And so there are certain things going on in our bodies when we hit those thresholds or those limits that are very repeatable and consistent across people and across different individual times in which you might be reaching those limits. Right. So a bunch of things there, right? So the cart is that thing that you see when people have the tubes coming out of them and they're running on the treadmill in the exactly. lab, right? So what we're saying is we'll be able to take that technology, which was the guy with the face mask on, yep, and the technician in the lab, next to him, and the technician in the, yep. the computer and all yep. the, the, the leads, taking that and putting that into a car. Exactly. Essentially. Yeah. Right? And getting the same results, which is amazingly enabling because... If you had to choose to begin with, you would have wanted that data. It was just you can't have somebody running out in the wild with a bunch of tubes. And well, the reason we use heart rate so much in training is because we don't have access to that information. Right. So heart rate has become a proxy for ventilation. ventilation. Right. And that's what I get a lot. People say, you know, what should my um, heart rate zones be? And mm-hmm. well, it depends on you, right? Because my heart's different than your heart. My fitness is different than your fitness. You have to actually go out and test it. And you would ask me this when we started talking about how do you get there? Yeah. How do you figure out your zones? It's a bit of an art. There's formulas online, but those are wrong. If you use those, they will be wrong, yeah. right? Because they're made for the average person. So it's something like your age minus something plus something. But those are wrong. Mm-hmm. They're going to be off by 5 to 10 beats per minute, which is giant in terms of your heart rate zone. So what you really need to do is you need to go out and do a test. And you go, and the way you do that is you go down to the track and you run hard, as hard as you can, for like a mile. It's very scientific. And you track your heart rate and you find out what your maximum heart rate is. And then from your maximum, you know your maximum, you know you're resting, you can then interpolate what your zones are from that. Yeah. Right? And by tracking over time, you can see where the inflection points are. And you can kind of track it by feel as well. But to your point, we're doing that to find the anaerobic threshold mm-hmm. and other thresholds, right? The max and the min, which you well, can There are really only two. Right. From a, from a physiological, pure physiological standpoint, there are two thresholds. One is when you are buffering lactate and one... And the, the transition between your buffered state and your unbuffered state. So right. your buffered state is when your body is able to buffer the lactate. And the unbuffered, also known as anaerobic zone, uh, although physiologists would say like that's not true because we're always producing some form of, of lactate. Even when we're just sitting here, we're actually producing some marginal amount of lactate. But it's the point in which your body can no longer, quote unquote, flush it out that it becomes a problem and you start to go into your anaerobic zone. Because that's a problem because your muscles operate much less efficiently after that. Right. You'll hit your wall fairly soon or within... It's the point of no return. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And then your VO2 max is obviously the, the maximal amount of effort that your body can expend doing that activity. Right. So the VO2 max is a is a very interesting thing because it 
is a measurement of your capacity, right? So how, you're being, how deep is your well? Right, how deep is your well? Mm-hmm. And that really has no relationship to your fitness per se, right? So you could be a, a fairly out of shape or amateur person and have a very good VO2 max. And essentially it would say, or you could make the correlation, say, you know, you're capable of running a 244 marathon, right? You could make that correlation from the VO2 max. Some folks completely untrained will go into a performance lab test for whatever reason and get VO2 max tested. And based on the fact that they are untrained and the results that they get sometimes indicate that they are actually much higher than what would be expected of someone that is so untrained. And so that is an indicator that that person has a natural propensity to having a really good endurance ability. Really trained athletes. So first of all, your VO2 max will change over time. Uh, it will change as you train. Uh, it will change with age. And so your VO2 max is not a constant. It's something that is also going to be changing. It's going to change between cycling versus running, depending on how proficient you are, how trained you are within that specific activity, because each activity is going to be recruiting different muscles. Yeah. Your ventilatory threshold is not going to change between activities, but it will also change over time as you improve your endurance. Right. And with really trained athletes, elite athletes will have their ventilatory threshold very close to their VO2 max. And so they'll be able to push it almost to their body's physical limit and be able to sustain that for a very, very long time. And that's through training. And it's always a, when I'm training, I always feel a trade-off between what my muscles are capable of doing and what my fitness is capable of doing. Or your your mental state. Heart and lungs or the mental state. And I think this would be a real eye-opener for people because most of the time with amateur athletes, they just don't believe they can do it. And you could essentially say to them, based on your ventilatory threshold, you're capable of this much more. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that could be an eye-opener for people. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, once you know what your capability is and where you're going in training with respect to that capability, that puts a whole another perspective on how you should be doing something, how right. far you can go. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it could be yeah. very motivating as well. Yeah, because you might not be willing to invest in that training until you know that actually you should invest in that training because you're going to get a lot faster or if that's your goal, yeah, right? Or you're going to perform better, yeah. right? Yeah. Another thing we see with breathing is the more trained the athlete, the more consistent the breathing becomes. Mm. So someone that we had brought in a guy that's an ultra marathoner, the variability between his breaths, so breath-to-breath variability, was almost machine-like. Mm. It was almost like we had just some robot compressing and expanding his lungs because what happens is his efficiency gets so high that his ability to take in oxygen is optimized and his body basically seeks that out in training and then as he runs you know 250 miles per week and then in one sitting he'll run 250 miles his body adapts to an ability to be able to optimize that whole system yeah and so with the with a very trained athlete we'll see this high variance and then with an untrained athlete we'll see it all over the place. You'll be holding your breath. You'll be gasping for air. Right. Your breathing will be very erratic. And there's a trajectory. Where on that line are you? How trained are you? So uh, I would think this would be very interesting output for coaches. For sure. But do they know how to use it? That's going to be a challenge for you, right? Yeah. I mean, that goes back to the whole user experience. Uh, and so we're at the stage now where we're getting into a pilot program, starting to solicit some of that information. 
back from coaches and athletes, really trying to understand how people are going to use the data once they have it and how can we package it so that it's most useful and is really solving the problems that they face. It's not just the data, it's also being able to pair that data with what they're trying to achieve. That's the key to a good product. Yeah, and then looking at the data on the back end and seeing what else can we learn from this. I mean, this the data set we'll be collecting is going to be almost one of a kind. Just in our pilot testing alone, we'll have probably one of the biggest breathing data sets that's ever been gathered. Um, so you can think about the once you get different people and, and different attributes and training regimens, you can really start to pick out what is working, what isn't working in a very scientific way, yeah. as opposed to kind of an ad hoc, this is what I feel or or this is what I think might work, or but you're not sure because you, your sample size is just it, so small. It'll be interesting to see. You know, It'll be interesting to see because a, a trained athlete knows their body really well. And it'll be interesting if you, it correlates to what the, the ventilation data shows, right? Yeah, no, it was. Because so, I mean, I know when I'm having a bad day and my heart rate will show that. Yeah. Right? Or I'll give you a great example, right? So last night, for some reason, I decided to eat an entire bag of jalapeno potato chips for dinner. And that showed up in my heart rate this morning when I was running. <laughs> my heart rate was wrecked because <laughs> of that, right? My body was trying to process that poison. Oof. Right? I don't know why, but you know, I wonder if there's the same sort of correlation. So, like, if you're sick, mm-hmm. your heart rate's off. Yeah, which is really, you know, these compounding factors is really what makes it sometimes an ineffective training tool. Yeah, uh, because there isn't a set number that you're trying to get to. It can be all over the place, like you mentioned earlier. When we're looking at ventilation, those are less of a, a concern because we're really just measuring the body's output, and you're either reaching your thresholds or you're not. So, who's your target market for this? Who are you trying to reach? We're really looking for dedicated athletes that use data to improve their training, that struggle with being able to understand where their limits are and how to train to them. If that describes the exact person that we're... Right. So not necessarily a, uh, a professional athlete, but someone who's serious enough about it and doesn't really know where their limits are. Yeah. Or, and and or, I mean, or, even professional, yeah. I, would, I would categorize professional athletes within that too, because I mean, even pro- many professional athletes don't have access to some of these training labs that the very elite might have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's certainly, as long as it's a dedicated person with, you know, a set training goal and yeah. really wants to know their limits and how to get to them, that's the ideal person. And you're looking at um, runners, runners triathletes, cyclists, triathletes, rowers, any athlete where endurance plays a key role. Yeah, cool. You're going into a pilot phase right now. You're getting your first set of product out. Yep. Talk about that a little bit. So we partnered with one of the biggest manufacturers in the world. We were very fortunate to to be able to work with them. And they are making about 150 units for us. It'll all be made here in New England. Most of our vendors are even, we're sourcing from, are from New England. We're not even USA made, we're New England made. Yeah. And um, we'll be making 150 units. We'll be putting them to the test over the next four months, collecting lots of data from runners, cyclists, rowers, and we'll be getting feedback from them to understand once we have this data available, essentially once we have this performance lab data available out in the field, how can we start to use that to improve someone's training, their understanding of their body and their training? How do coaches start to interface with this to improve their training protocols and, and their understanding of their athletes? These are some of the questions that we hope to be answering in the next four months, and, and then we'll, we'll go from there to 
incorporate that feedback into the product and uh, hopefully launch uh, sometime early next year. So as we move you towards the exit here, what can our audience here do to help you or where can they find you? Or They can find us on our website, www.timewear.com. And they can find us on Instagram at Timeware. Mm. Those would be the two main places. And I think we'll probably put together... I'll put a landing page for this podcast specifically, uh, timeware.com slash podcast. Okay. I'll put it in the show notes, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then uh, they can, if you, if people are interested in leaving their email addresses there and, and following us as we get close to cool. running the production and yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Robo Runner 3000. Drax 355 pushed his pace a bit to pull up under the shoulder of Kaibal 290. His e-suit, a newer model with very good external sensor strength, picked up the edge of Kaibal's e-field pushing out. Kaibal had made his usual move on that slight rising hill through the park. He had pushed the pace for 800 meters and dropped everyone else. Drax had not responded this time as he had in previous races. His tactical algorithm coach told him to try something different today. To hold his pace on the rise and then use that following rolling downhills out of the park to reconnect with the leader. And it had worked so far. Drax had never beaten Kybel in a race. He had been close, but had never been able to close the deal. The man was just a few seconds faster over the distance. On the good days like today, when he felt healthy, relaxed, and optimal, he could stay close. The e-suit told Drax he was right where he wanted to be. His avatar was mostly green, easing into yellows in places as the race effort took its toll. E-suit technology didn't unlevel the playing field as much as people originally thought it would. The first users won a decided advantage, but now there was parity as all competitors wore them. The key turning point was when the GLATF governing body was able to take ownership of all the in-race data. Now that everyone had the e-suits, the smart clothes, and the GLATF had the data, no one could cheat. The real-time respiration and sampling automatically picked up any PEDs or augmentation protocols. They were able to finally clean up endurance sports without an army of urine sampling minions. Cycling was the first to fall in line, and then the results cascaded into all the other sports. With the ability to cheat removed, classical sports had a renaissance. Even these days, with most of the human existence being virtualized, there was still a draw to the physical. We had learned to live an augmented life side by side with the technologies, but we still dragged around this meat bred in the savannah of our DNA. Some crazy Luddites still ran these races a natural, mostly the cranky old-timers who had always scoffed at the suits. The governing body put up with them as long as they signed a waiver that if they croaked it was their own fault and they would not be eligible for prizes or the official results. Targeted multiband scans played over cables. Targeted multiband scans played over Kybel's lithe athletic form as he pushed around a tight corner and up a slight incline. 
Drax's suit processed the returning data and did its best to algorithmically sort out the false positive signals and the interference. Drax 355 did his best to scan the incoming feed on his heads-up race visor. He could see that familiar, tight, efficient form ahead of him, as usual, haloed in multicolored, multidimensional mesh of data readings. Kybel was running well, in the lead, as usual. Drax was breathing hard now. He switched the telemetry of Kybel's display to his own suit's monitoring system for a status check. With all his training... He already knew what it would tell him. He was redlining on his max VO2 and starting to go into lactic debt. He didn't need the suit to tell him that. His hammering heart and his ragged breath made the case, but he checked anyhow to confirm. Sure enough, the bounding silhouette of his racing avatar was highlighted, and several aerobic systems were starting to turn yellow and spread. No individual muscle was flaring red, and his core temperature was within bounds. Nothing acute to make him back off or adjust his stride, just a slow ride into the hell of anaerobic debt. His suit algorithms recommended a 2-centimeter extension on his stride on the approaching downhill and told him to straighten up his form. And as he tried, he fell out of optimal for a brief second, and Kybel pulled a few steps ahead. Drax's new suit quickly sensed the change in the airflow as he fell off Kybel's shoulder. It extended and reconfigured the lateral microfins built into the fabric to take advantage of the hot side breeze coming off the track surface. The smart louver system sensed and managed the turbulence. They were also configured to divert cooling air to mitigate core temperature increases or decreases. For these races, under the life dome, there was seldom need for that with the constant temperatures of the maintained atmosphere. Drax was thankful not to need them and their corresponding trade-off in airflow optimization. Occasionally, the engineers would tweak the environment in a microdome for fun when they put on one of those mud and obstacle tough meat races. Then the suit's core temperature control features would come in handy. There was only so much it could do with the available passive body heat variables, but it could make the difference, especially in those crazy Escape the Dome Ultra Race series where they went out into the uncontrolled zones. The slight adjustment to the suit's surface made Drax more slippery and allowed him to close the gap again. His anaerobic display eased from yellows into more menacing amber hues. With three quarters of a kilometer left in the race, he could risk it to retain contact. This was not some run-of-the-mill med garment tracking a sick kid for the Global Health Institute. This was the latest Cabrera 3000 custom-fitted for elite athletes to eke out every last bit of performance within natural boundaries, of course. His new suit was within the GLATF parity boundaries. There had been some early disqualification problems when the technology was new, where unauthorized plugins allowed unsportsmanlike hacking of other suits. This, theoretically, couldn't happen now that all data was real-time copied to the cloud for the GLATF algorithmic monitoring. Connectivity was built into the fabric of the living space. Drax was very happy with how things were playing out. He had never hung on to Kybel for this long before in the weekly race series. Maybe that new training rig was paying off. A quick glance called up the predictive analytics, and if nothing went wrong in this last bit, he was on track to set a two-minute PR. His suit avatar glowed reddish in his calves and thighs. Things were starting to fail. 
He was feeling the cumulative effect of anaerobic debt. His nutrition was good. The glycogen and oxygen exchange rates were tracking well, but the muscles couldn't get rid of the waste products fast enough. He allowed his suit to slightly reconfigure the microfins into small fingers to poke at the tight red spots on his calves, to get a slight massage into the tissue of the muscles, to break up and push out some of that crap that was building up. The avatar displayed back to Drax was a sea of red and amber warnings now. He was getting close to the GLATF safety parameters, but he was close. So close to Kybel. Maybe today was his day. He wasn't going to let up. He was going to give the race everything he had. The finish was near. Around a couple bends and onto a short runway through the chute, his legs were starting to feel a creeping deadness as the muscles were overwhelmed by the effort. His heads-up display blurred at the edges as race tunnel vision closed in on his awareness. Still, he hung on to Kybel. Kybel wouldn't have to turn his head. He didn't need to glance over his shoulder to see Drax still there, apparently running strong in his wind shadow. What would the champion do? When would he make his move? Could Drax hang on? Drax's algorithms look for similar race profiles in Kybel's history. Kybel wasn't a sprinter. He was a rabbit. He usually had enough of a gap to maintain his lead coming into the finish, the summary said. Historic profile projections said he'd run a steady state from here on in. But history didn't know what Kaibo was thinking, or what he was capable of today. The bouncing form of Kaibo danced into Drax's blurring vision on the analytics display. Telemetry was scanning his gait to see if anything had changed, to see if maybe Kaibo's form revealed something. Kaibo seemed to be running strong. To be sure, his gait was a bit more mechanical and a bit less fluid due to race fatigue, but nothing out of the ordinary. Then Drax thought he saw Kybel stumble, ever so slightly breaking his form and catching himself. Drax reviewed the telemetry sequence, and sure enough, there was the red spike within the yellow highlight. What did it mean? Did it mean anything? Kybel stretched the separation, but Drax held on. Drax was hurting, but he was all in. He was pushing his dead legs with everything he had, willing the knees high, the four-foot plant and toe-off, pumping his arms high and ferociously to gain the ground and move the spirit. He had to suppress the GLNHI official health and stress warnings that now cascaded over the red of his display, and he muted the audio alarm. Screw them. This was his meat, and he was pushing as hard as he could. He was riding this thing to the finish line. Something told him to call an algorithm that ran a regression analysis on Kybel's momentary stumble. The pop-up result tag listed an 87% probability of a slight calf strain and a 63% chance of a hamstring tweak in Kybel's left leg. Drax saw the finished turn approaching and decided to gamble. As red lights flashed a blurred slurry of useless warnings, he dug even deeper and pulled up on Kybel's outside shoulder as they turned into the finish runway. This forced the champion to shift to cut the corner tightly, and the tight corner shifted the weight of his stride laterally onto that left side, and his stride became jerky and unnatural in the corner. Drax bolted by and dropped into the champion's lane, charging like a lightning-struck wild beast towards the finish line a few scant meters away. His form was shot. His legs and arms waved crazily, searching for some rhythm to drive his body forward. 
Kybel 290 recovered his stride on the straightaway and tried to close, but Drax had the jump on him. Drax 355 pinwheeled in an uncontrolled mass through the finish and collapsed heaving on the smart grass. Nanomesh connectors took over from his e-suit and tried to do what they could to mitigate any permanent damage. Drax lay in a state of blissful exhaustion and let the GLN HI admonition stream by, muted and unheeded. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, you have run in your high-technology smart garment to the end of episode 4-371 of the Run Run Live podcast. And I've got a few things lined up for you. First is this guy I interviewed that is running a marathon in every national park in the U.S. And you may have seen him in that running magazine. You know the one. I believe he was in this month. They were always copying me. I'm also trying to get the race director from the Portland, Maine Marathon on for a debrief. I'm going to run that race on October 1st. I'm in good shape. I'm in good enough shape. I need to tune up a little bit, lose a little weight, but I'll race. Uh, Before that, on the 3rd of September, that Memorial Day weekend, I think it's Memorial Day, right? Is that what that is? Or is that Labor Day? I don't know. But I'm going to run the WAPAC, the full WAPAC trail race again this year, which is an 18-mile technical mountain race that my club puts on. Um, If you're you're thinking about at some point maybe stepping up to an ultra, or, or uh, you know, doing uh, trail races, this is a good halfway step because it runs like a marathon in the woods. It's very technical, very difficult. I think we're doing a relay this year, too, if you want to come up and do one way, which would be nine miles. And, of course, we're looking ahead to December 31st again this year for the Groton Marathon. I'm going to swear a bit, not really, but kind of in the next few paragraphs if you want to plug your kids' ears. So I was talking to a friend of mine last week, and he was supposed to go on vacation, but his wife got sick, and I could tell he was mad about it. And he didn't ask me for advice, but I gave it to him anyhow. Very simple advice. I said, don't be an a-hole. We get all cranked up inside our own heads and start acting like we're right and someone else is wrong. It's all ego. We construct these stories of how we are long-suffering and put upon. I know I do it. And then we lash out. But you know what the other person sees? They don't see any of that stuff in your head. They just see you're lashing out. You just look like an a-hole. My wife called me last night in the afternoon when she was coming home. And she wanted to know what I had cooked for dinner. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell? What am I, your cook? I've got a cold. I've got work to do. What have you done for me lately? And then I realized that she didn't know any of that, and it didn't matter to her anyhow. So I chose not to be an a-hole, and I got some food from the market, and I cooked dinner. I was standing at the fish counter in the market down on Cape Cod last week, and there was a young couple there fighting over whether or not to buy mussels. She wanted mussels. He kept saying, buy the muscles if you want. But what was he really saying? He was, he was thinking something like, muscles? Are you stupid? You crazy? Why do I put up with your insufferable crap? Muscles my eye. Right? That's what he was thinking. And when he finally wandered off and left her standing there contemplating the muscles, I leaned in, I smiled, and I said, tell him to stop being an a-hole. That's it. Secret to life. Don't be an a-hole. 
let it go. I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. All right. Cue the orchestra. It's time to record. Places, everyone. Marks, people, people, marks.